This week on the Throncast, we meet our antagonists, Captain Pelion and Grand Admiral Thrawn. Luke says goodbye to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Leia communes with her twins, who are not named Ben or Kylo. The secret of Mara Jade gets a promotion, and Thrawn has plans for crazy clone Joru Sabioth. Strap on your Salamiri pack, it's time for the Throncast. Governor Price. These rebels have proven particularly stubborn. How do you intend to solve this problem? I need someone who sees a bigger picture. The Empire is getting better at anticipating our moves. I underestimated the commander. The previous attacks were clumsy, but this one was swift, precise. To defeat an enemy, you must know them. Not simply their battle tactics, but their history, philosophy, art. Grand Admiral Thrawn. Hello, and welcome to the Thrawn cast. I'm your host, Nancy, and today we're discussing chapters one through four of Heir to the Empire. With me, as always, are my co-hosts, Brian. Yo! Matthew. Hello. Amanda. Good morning. And Tyler. Hi. Good morning, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's morning here. Time zones are a thing. So Amanda's you- our European correspondent. Yes. <laughs> So, yes, we are uh, on episode 1.1 of the Throncast, our very first actual discussion podcast. Uh, If you missed our last show, we had an introduction episode where we talked about ourselves and our history of the within the EU. And we don't mean the Brexit kind. Uh, So we are going to get right on into discussing these chapters um, first, uh, last week we didn't have a show because Brian and I were away at Drag- Dragon Con in Atlanta. I'm still so tired. Yes. And one of the guests at Dragon Con was none other than Timothy Zahn. And, Yay! Uh, and we got to hear him speak at the um, author's panel. Which was a surprise appearance by... Uh, no. Oh, sorry, the author's <laughs> panel. The author's panel was where he was supposed to be. Right before that was the Rebels panel um, with Henry Gilroy, who's one of the show's writers. And then about 45 minutes into the panel, surprise, Timothy Zahn appears in the track room and uh, sat on the panel and uh, discussed how he learned all about uh, Thrawn being in Rebels. And um, that story is really delightful. So if you want to know how exactly that came about, apparently he's known since November. I mean, I, I feel like we have to give a brief rundown because it was such a delightful story. So the basic yes, gist of do. the basic gist of it is that he got an email inviting him to go out to San Francisco to discuss Star Wars. Just. <laughs> Star Wars. Nothing else. It yeah. just said discuss Star just Wars. Come and and there is no one on this panel that wouldn't be on the next plane. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, okay, uh, what are we going to talk about? And they're just like, oh, Star Wars. Some stuff. 
So as it gets near the nearer the date, he has no idea what's going on. He sees that they've car- carved out a two-hour block of time with Dave Filoni, and he's like, "Okay, notoriously busy." Yeah, Dave Filoni. He doesn't have time to do this. Something, something is happening. Um, and so he flies out there. They go. They bring him to Lucasfilm. He they go to this conference room. All these people start trickling in. He still has no idea what's going on. Pablo Hidalgo and Leland Chi come in the room and he asks them, do you guys know what this is about? And they say, and Leland says, yep. He says, are you going to tell me? And Leland said, no. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's how they roll. Yeah. And then, um, you know, they start the meeting and Dave says, we are, you know, bringing Thrawn into season three of Rebels as the main antagonist. And, I think Zahn said that he his first reaction was the internet is going to melt. <laughs> uh, so, you know, they talked about all of the, you know, the what they had planned for the show and they showed him some of the clips and then they went to another area to discuss down to what they call the, the bullpen or no, they went down to what they, oh, call yeah, the they bullpen. well, they went to, they went through, they toured him through all of the rebels area. And then after that was over, they brought him to discuss writing a new book. Um, so that was in November of last year, almost a year ago. And he has been sitting on this, Ever since. Now, we should point out that uh, over at Tashi Station, uh, one of our other staff writers, Bria, moderated a panel at AwesomeCon in Washington, D.C. back in June, in which she jokingly point blank asked Tim Zahn, so yeah, what are you doing in Star Wars these days? Yeah. And he just and straight- was like, they have my number. Yeah, he, yeah he's, right? he, he just like, straight, yeah, face, straight faced, poker faced, just goes out and says, well, you know, if they want to talk to me, they have my number. Mm-hmm. And as he pointed out, <laughs> while he's finishing up the first draft of Thrawn, and as he pointed out, you know, he didn't lie. <laughs> he never <laughs> said true. he wasn't doing anything. Blast they him. do have his number. Yep. So, um, indeed. So I, I was actually, you know, I, I was really excited to hear that story because as soon as this announcement came out, that was basically what I wanted to hear was Tim's take of how it came about, and um, and. Considering where I was sitting while this was happening, so where I, I was on the Rebels panel, and I happened to sit n- at the end of the table next to, well, Henry Gilroy was at the very end, and I was next uh, to him. Henry Gilroy, uh, show writer for, for Rebels. Rebels. So I'm sitting next to him, you know, and I, like the whole time I'm like, <laughs> I'm sitting next to Henry Gilroy. And uh, right before the panel, Brandy, who's the track director, uh, for Star Wars at Dragon Con took us all aside and said hey uh, Zahn's crashing this panel and we went oh! <laughs> I was like please thank you for telling us beforehand because if I hadn't known I, w- I would have died now the hilarious thing the only person on that panel who didn't know was, was Henry Gilroy <laughs> yeah <laughs> he, no one I don't think they told him so uh, Zong comes in and he sits at the, you know, at the end next to Henry Gilroy. So I'm two seats down from Zahn as he's telling the story. And I'm just, there's some people had taken pictures of the, you know, the audience. And you can just see me looking over with this huge smile on my face. Like, <laughs> now, uh, another really funny thing is uh, Henry Gilroy is a huge 
Tim's on, heir to the Empire fan. Um, when Dave Filoni tweeted that picture of a book spine saying, like, there's always truth in legends, that was Henry Gilroy's <laughs> copy, signed copy of Heir to the Empire. Yeah. And when Tim Zahn walked into the room, Henry Gilroy had one of the most memorable fanboy moments I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was really cute. They hugged. And then uh, um, I mentioned some. I mentioned the tweet or something, and and uh, he Henry Gilroy said that was my book that he took. I, he, he took it and I had no idea where it went. And I went, oh, that's so awesome. And he goes, no, no, it was not awesome. That was autographed. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. Like what a great time to be a star Wars fan that the people who are writing the show, right. That is our new Canon content. Yeah. Can completely geek out fanboy. Over yeah. And that's star Wars author. And, I, uh, and Henry Gilroy was saying that during, you know after Zahn came on the panel was like you know they they wanted to make sure that he liked what they were doing like it was really important to them that they got the character yeah, right because, because then why else use him because all the people who are working on this and the people who pitch who pitched it uh, Dave Filoni and Carrie Hart are just huge fans of this book and this character they wanted to do it do it so much justice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was a really fun panel. The author's panel is also good and there's a lot of interesting comments about canon and, you know, legends and that and um also there was a really good response from Mike Sackpole in regards to if he's going to write Star Wars again, basically saying, "Look, all three of They've us got my number. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, right. that right. but also that um, you know, him, Kevin J Anderson and Tim Zahn have all written their share of star wars and if they never get called to write again um in order so that people like janine spenlove and delilah dawson who were flanking them on the panel yeah get called up to write books they're fine with that so basically it's like i I, I think yeah (laughs) i think uh mike's words were writing star wars brought him so much joy he wants people like janine and delilah who were sitting there on that panel with him to have the same joy he had yeah, so it was a it was a really good panel, and uh, uh, so go check those out. We've got those on our feed, and um, I think with that that gone, we will jump right into chapter one. Chapter one, yay! All right, uh, class, this is, is open this, up. This is the official kickoff of the whole of the book club. Yes. Okay, class, turn to page one. <laughs> we're gonna read the chapter aloud. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll have dramatic readings later. Oh, we will. Don't worry. We oh. haven't gotten to Mercury. Oh, that'll yet. Happen. We haven't gotten to Mercury yet. Brian, I'm pulling you in. You need for me to get scenes. sexy saxophone music. No, no you're going to be yes. Luke. Amanda is going to be Leia. Obviously. Hey, hang on. Hang on. Let me practice my uh. Luke. Um, but I was going into Tashi station to pick up some power converters. <laughs> Go away. Or wine. Go away. But I was going into Tasha Station to pick up some power converters. Needs more wine. Okay. Let's get on with the The show. The wine is strong. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So chapter one. Captain Pelion is feeling reminiscent for the old empire. There are too many younglings serving on the bridge and they need to get off his lawn. Uh, As the scene starts out, uh, some ships have just returned from a raid on the planet Obroa Sky because 
God, the planet names in this series are so difficult. Uh, and um, they're, uh, they're searching for information on the orders of the mysterious Grand Admiral Thrawn. Afterwards, Pelion reports to Thrawn in his special chambers, uh, where he's studying art of various cultures. While there, the Chimera is attacked by New Republic ships who followed them after the raid. Thrawn, having discerned that an, see, and again, species names I can't pronounce, Elomin, I think is how, an, an Elomin. Elomin or Elomin? I thought it Elomin. So, you know. Oh, right. Well. Damn it, Tim. <laughs> and an El- Elomin, Elomin is in charge. There's an E in there somewhere. Yes. Is in charge of the fleet, executes a Marg Sable maneuver, uh, which I, the fuck that is. <laughs> it, I believe it was named, it was a Tuckerism, <laughs> uh, which the Elom cannot defend against. Uh, and so later, after the battle is over and they've won, Thrawn is pleased to learn that the Abroa Sky Raid gave him information on the planets Merkur and Wayland, which he has been looking for for quite some time. Good lord, the names, and we're just at the first bullet point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, the oh, next yeah. week is going to be fun. I've already read them. So, yeah, chapter one is very much a setup chapter for our antagonists. Um, and basically, it's this is Thrawn. Look at what he can do. He is so scary. Oh, ha, ha. Uh, uh, uh. Well, they, they they give us a really interesting and cool insight into him right away that he's really into art, but it's not a quirk and it's not just something he does for fun, but it's his sort of unique mechanism by which to understand the means to conquer other species. And he turns right around, flips his art display to a tactical display and does it. Yeah, I... um. So I wanted to talk more about the whole art thing later. But um, the one thing I love about Zahn is that he is very uh, predictable <laughs> when he <laughs> writes um, because he starts the book just like all the movies start with the Star Destroyer, with the bad guys. And um, he you know, points out uh, in the Heir to the Empire 20th Anniversary Edition that that's he does all of the, you know, rebellion era, new Republic era books the same way that he always starts with the star destroyer. I mean, for this book in particular, I don't know if there's any other way you can possibly start it. I don't think so. If you started with chapter two, it would have been really boring. (laughs) Well, and, and you, you wouldn't have bought into the villains because the first thing you got is the villains. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing you connected to. If they had given you the original, three right up front, you would not have perhaps chosen to connect to the villains because you already had the characters you connected to in your hand. Yep. That's a good point. You need to introduce the new characters and then get to the old ones and then get you more new ones. Yeah. I mean, it's just a basic bit of, uh, you know, holding back the new, the, the old characters for a little bit, you know, making mm-hmm. you wait for them. Also, structurally, it's 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 very efficient. I, I noticed this time reading through it, it's very efficient and like just sort of running down real quick, like the state of the empire since Return of the Jedi. Yeah, um, like it, it communicates that information very quickly and efficiently, and I, I was pretty impressed with that actually. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 go no, ahead. Continue. No, go ahead. <laughs> 
Oh, um, yeah, I just, I, I like that. I like that in both the, the new canon and uh, Legends. They really emphasize the fact that they literally have, like, no one. Mm-hmm. And they have to, you know, forcibly conscript people to join the Empire. Um, because, you know, they're... They need they, they they have this sense of they need to live on in some way. And I mean, eventually we get it to Force Awakens in the new canon where they're literally you know, indoctrinating children. Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's you very much see there's a sort of desperation in yeah, the exactly. in the Empire at this point in time. And um you know, Pelion is basically like these kids. They don't know what it's like in the Empire, and they don't know what they're doing. And but it, he, you know, we see that you know the Empire lost so much after Endor, not just because of the Death Star, but because of the execu- yeah. executor. And you, you know, I, New Canon gets a lot of flack from some old Legends purists that a lot of themes and ideas from Legends are recycled. I think it's really a credit to Legends itself that um, the stuff that was written with way less framework is stuff that makes sense to use now. Um, it What was logical then still works in the framework we're using in New Canon now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, just the explanation he gives that, you know, there were so many, you know, talented officers on board the uh, the executor stuff. Um, <laughs> because that was, sorry, <laughs> because that was Vader's ship. You know, I mean, that's that makes sense that there would be, you know, that that mm-hmm. would be the best of the best and that that more than anything else would be such a crippling loss to the fleet, that and, loss of talent. And we see that because we, you know, we see Piet, um, who's, you know, one of the, you know, Imperials we follow through the original trilogy so um so yeah it's um uh so one of the things i thought was really interesting was that we um the start with the star destroyer and this was the part that i was mentioning last week when i was reading it and i was struck about the similarities with the trailer that um the first when they cut to that section with the organ music and the introduction of Thrawn in the trailer, uh, we're sh- the first shot is three Star Destroyers. Um, when, you know, reading this chapter, we start with on the Chimera. And then later on, when we're introduced to Thrawn, he's in his, you know, Paleon walks in and describes it as an art museum. And when they first show the first shot of Thrawn, uh, you know, standing among all the holograms of the Rebels crew... And I was thinking, I'm like, wow, that's pretty much taking it point blank from this book. <laughs> and I'm like, you can't you can't look at that and not say Dave Filoni isn't a big fan of Heir to the Empire in particular and Thrawn in general. Oh, yeah. It I definitely mean, but- shows us we're probably getting Thrawn 1.1 more than Thrawn 2.0. Yeah, I mean, like I said last week, you know, if, if even if the the show doesn't necessarily stay a hundred percent true to the character in the books. The, the trailer was definitely designed to mm-hmm. evoke, you know, the, the, the book and to, to excite fans of the books. I could hear the organ music playing in the background <laughs> during the scene. almost. <laughs> it just fits in so well. I really hope it was that organ, organ music. music. 
Yeah. Um, now, one of the things that happens with I, Tyler is probably going to be the one to pick on this, pick up on this most is there is a lot of timeline wonkiness in this book. Um, and yeah. this is true <laughs> for a lot of the Bantamera books. Corin Horn and your family history. I'm looking at you. <laughs> um, because Paleon says, you know, he's been in the fleet for 50 years. And you're like, no, you haven't. The Empire hasn't been around that long. It's like maybe an 30. Fleet for 50 years. Yeah. So you know, it's like the- you would say forever, like a million years. I've been in the Empire for a million years, guys. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he was a new Republic officer. Or sorry, an old Republic officer well, who then, you know, transitioned to Empire and he just sort of thinks of them as the I same thing. Think, it's all the same uniform. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the way um, it was retconned in Legends, um, because he did show up in some of the Clone Wars novels. Um, I think that's... Okay. How, that, yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think some of the Karen Travis ones, um, which I never read, but I didn't know that happened. Um, so, I didn't read either. Yeah, so... Um, there's there's a lot of things you kind of have to hand wave here and be like okay yeah we'll we'll just adjust that timeline in our heads um yeah i mean you know it was written in what 1990 1991 so i mean he's just going off the original trilogy and he's going what they told him they they gave him a time frame and then it was changed and george decided to do more movies yeah so kids first yeah, so kids, when you say, oh, Disney is ruining everything and overriding everything, <laughs> they did that from day one. <laughs> <laughs> so Thrawn and his art. I know several people have been um, have had issues with that. I've, I've known some people who, who aren't big fans of that characterization because uh, they say it doesn't make sense. Um, I've never really had much of a problem with it. I think in later on in the series and especially in later books, uh, people tend to treat Thrawn too omnipotently. Um, but that's not a flaw of this book in particular. I, I, I mean, if we're looking at the vacuum of 1991 and this is the, this is the villain who in Star Wars has to follow up Darth Vader, you have to go in a totally different direction. And I think this is a, I think this is a pretty clever way to do that, especially and framing it around sort of, uh, sort of smarts and IQ and using art to kind of convey that I think is a good framing device. I mean, he's Sherlock Holmes. He's space Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Using art rather than, you know, supernatural, skills of observation and i mean it's it's it works out to be the same thing basically because like reading a sherlock holmes book you you cannot figure out who done it because that information is not presented to you that information is presented to you at the end by sherlock holmes just like you wouldn't be able to know that an lom can't defend against a mark sable maneuver you know, you just kind of take it as granted. And I mean, if you're willing to buy into that, then, you know, that's, that's good. And, and you're along for the ride. And, um, and I mean, I think it works mostly pretty well. And, you know, Nancy, what you talk about how later he seems omnipotent, um, that's true. But I think that 
and we're jumping way ahead here, but I, I also think that that works within the narrative too. Like Zahn mm-hmm. calls that out at some point later. And it, and it is, um, I don't know if lampshaded is the correct term, but there is a lot of hubris in regards to, uh, this ability that, um, you know, we will discuss at length later on. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, one of the things I'm really interested to see in rebels is how it plays with this, because it seems like they're going beyond the art aspect to bring in philosophy and history. Um, and I kind of like that idea better because um, I probably just to it, ground it, it, it a little bit more. I mean, just based on like this, 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 you know, these four chapters, it feels like a perfectly logical ex- extension to me. But also, you know, I'm not the one with the history with Thrawn. <laughs> so no, I, I, I think it's also better, uh, better translated to a children's show you know, then yeah. it's it's probably a lot harder to explain the whole discuss, you know, examining art in a, you know, 22 minute cartoon. And it is in a, you know, 300 and something page book. And I mean, it's, to, I think it's to ground it too, to make it a little less supernatural yeah. because I mean, it's way more believable that somebody would be able to discern like tactics and, and patterns and, and predict behavior based on, the history and the culture and the philosophy rather than just the art. I mean, it yeah. is a little ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I I did think it was interesting to hear Zahn actually, someone asked him a question why he chose art um, as for, you know, what Thrawn would study. And he said, you know, I really wish I n- remembered why, because so many people asked me that question and I don't <laughs> know what to tell them. <laughs> um, but he said basically he wanted Thrawn to, ha- you know, to be able to examine a, a culture or, a you know, an alien species and understand them. And art seemed like the most clear cut way. It didn't require a translation, um, whereas like a, like learning the philosophy or the myths or legends of the culture would require him to hear those stories from someone, you know, through a translator basically. Whereas with art, he could just look at it and not need any sort of explanation, Um, which makes perfect sense hearing him explain that. Um, So whether or not it, you know, it, it continues to work, you know, we'll see as the series goes on, but uh, you know, it's well, and even here. Thrawn talks about history a little bit because he mm-hmm. talks about how the art changes after one alien species has contact with another alien species. So it's not like he's looking at it in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is true. Except for the whole literal floating through a vacuum. Thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what I think about his look just got just got the God joke. damn it. Um, <laughs> Is that it, it? The other books that I am about to refer to had not been written yet, but Thrawn's understanding and appreciation for art feels as though it elevates him above his warlord peers who are also lurking about doing mm-hmm. business of the Empire. Yes, contemporary to this. Oh yeah, again, I mean Admiral Ad- Dalla comes off as a as a as a brainless thug next to him. Oh, she yes, knows. and 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 she's the best of the bunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> so, yeah. So it really does give him 
a gravitas that these other people who happen to have come to find themselves in charge of Star Destroyers don't have. And so if you are designing a villain to go up against Luke Skywalker and company, to have one who is cerebral and educated and thoughtful and looking at culture in a way that maybe we haven't seen a diehard Imperial look at culture before is an interesting paradigm to set up. Yeah, and I think Brian made an excellent point, too, that it it distinguishes him almost 180 degrees from Darth Vader, who is just this hulking menace who, you know, Mm -hmm. throws things around and chops things up. You know, Vader was like a club and and Thrawn is like a scalpel. And they they make deliberate comparisons, or at least Pelion does. Um, yeah. between Vader and Thrawn, which Several times. Ma- which may or may not be uh, valid comparisons because, um, you know, for as much as he said Thrawn is not like Vader, Thrawn does a lot of things that are similar to Vader throughout the oh, book. they're both Imperials. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, just like the way he treats his subordinates, there are a few times when he, you know, is does Vader-like things, but... Um, you can either say that's just because of, you know, the nature of the job or... Does Paleon have rose-colored glasses for Thrawn? You know, it's... A little column A, a little yeah. <laughs> I do yeah. love. I do love that we never get Thrawn's perspective. Um, it's yeah. always told through Paleon's eyes, and that was deliberate according... You know, obviously, um, Zahn didn't want to get into the head of Thrawn because then you have to explain how he thinks. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's a lot easier. Um I I do think it's very interesting to read this now um, that, you know, the idea of Thrawn being a non-human and being the only non-human Grand Admiral um, was, you know, back in the time when the Empire was sexist and xenophobic. Um, now, in the new canon, the, the Empire isn't sexist. Um, still a little bit xenophobic because we haven't had a lot of aliens in the ranks but we do have people like Massimetta who's the you know second in command of the empire basically uh so it'll be interesting as a new canon develops to see what happens with aliens in the empire um we really haven't seen any in the first order a lot so yeah yeah so what does Thrawn want on Marker and Wayland we're gonna find out soon but first, chapter two. Uh, chapter two. Chapter two is kind of very rote and what is expected um, for the introduction of our heroes. Uh, we see Luke. Um, Obi-Wan is visiting Luke for the last time as a Force ghost. Um, it is a very sad and poignant scene on the roof of the Imperial Pile, or in a dream. Um, and Luke is very sad to say goodbye to Obi-Wan and then um he leaves him. But, I mean, the guy's dead like seven years. <laughs> <laughs> so really he but he's been talk. visiting him, you know? He's just saying, hey Luke, uh, how's it going down there? Um but obviously this was very deliberately done because, you know, Zahn wanted to get rid of that crutch and, and I think it was very necessary. You know, it's oh, it yeah, is absolutely. a very good choice. Um yeah. 
Ben is a Ben would have been a narrative crutch for Luke and Luke becomes a lot more vulnerable and because becomes a lot more interesting as you'll see later in the novel because he is really working on his own without any anything to fall back yeah. on but himself. And the line, not the last of the old Jedi Luke, the first of the new. Oh, is God, so good. Pretty yeah. much, you know, one of the best lines of Legends and, you know, is very much the the nutshell of this book and this series. And, and Luke in general of the, the entire, his, you know, entire career as a Jedi. Um, so he goes up to the roof of the Imperial Palace where things, you know, happen in this series as we'll see later on at the end <laughs> and he goes up there with his uh rocking the lightsaber and bathrobe look which yes. by the way is exactly how i'm dressed to record this podcast today um, nice with his mug of hot chocolate do, do you actually have a lightsaber with you right now because that'd be spec. I, I do you want me to make it make noise <laughs> i um yeah a lot of people oh god <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people are were really n- angry about the hot chocolate thing. Oh my god! Yeah, it's too it's, earthy. I mean, but I mean, when we like, hear about how people complain about aftermath and you know the space diapers, it's really not that you know surprising. You know, I mean, second a, verse, same as the first. Funny. It's a dumb we, joke, but yeah. I mean, and like it's it's over in one line. I mean, it's like, get over it. Although that one line did <laughs> so launch. So far the other direction later in Legends where nothing could be made out of paper. It was made out of flimsy. Yes. And nothing could be made out of glass. It was transparent steel. Like, it's kind of nice to see plain words. I, I will say the, the <laughs> hot, hot chocolate is just hot chocolate. We know what that is. The hot chocolate line launched almost three decades worth of fanfic of Luke Skywalker being a total lightweight. Yes. <laughs> Also that he eats a lot. That was one of the other fanon things is that Luke has a voracious appetite. I can see that. <laughs> Jumping around, you know, swinging a lightsaber it's, brings a lot of calories. Yeah, it does. Like, in a desert. <laughs> um, one of the, the things... was probably not delicious. Yeah. One of the things I think is really sweet about this scene is how 3PO comes out to check on Luke because Leia's, you know figured out that he's in distress and he both want she wants to cheer him up and also show off her new jedi skills and luke knows that she's trying to show off and it makes him laugh and i'm like there's an interesting thing there that i didn't i never really i mean i noticed it obviously but i never really thought about it much before is that luke can sense 3po in the force i thought that was interesting too which adds all kinds of interesting questions and quandaries about droids in the Star Wars universe and slavery and whatnot. <laughs> and I it, sense a yeah, disturbance I really in the like force. that sibling moment, though, when she's, like, able to make that happen. Yeah. But more than that, like, I was really stunned, again, at how we learn the mechanisms of the force through these couple of scenes. Mm -hmm. I would think something like near field line of sight, small scale telekinesis would be an easy skill and the ability to connect to the emotions of another person halfway across a building who is not in your line of sight would be difficult. And it turns out it's the exact opposite. (laughs) Well, for Luke's mood, but she can't turn off the light. Well, and I think it it just showcases that Leia's you know talents and abilities lay in a different direction. It's what I wish they'd do with Ezra on on Rebels, but 
you know, they make such a big deal about him being great at like connecting to animals and stuff. But then he's also like jumping around like a jackrabbit with his lightsaber. It's like, pick one. Come on. Yeah. But I think it also it makes sense with what we see of Leia in the original trilogy. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. if you've and then what we've seen of Leia in the new canon, that's pretty much how they've gone with her character. She she yeah. she can sense things. She's good with the with that with the I mean she sensed the Han thing like oh, yeah. halfway across the galaxy. Oh, yeah. Too soon. Too soon. We can't talk about that. <laughs> Sorry, man. JJ says, thing. Oh yeah, you'll see that Leia's force sensitive. I kept it vague. Um Tyler, what was your thoughts about um, you know, kind of dispatching Obi-Wan? Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people were kind of like, oh, it's kind of like Obi-Wan's second death scene when it happened. <laughs> um, because, you know, um, Luke is I mean, just just coming just coming into it, um I thought it was a good place, you know, like both in the in the, like the narrative of the timeline Mm -hmm. and the narrative of the story like the narrative of the timeline like it makes sense like things are being established now the new republic is pretty you know settled kind of um you know uh luke's living a course on yeah you know he has his thing down and like it makes sense. It just, it just like, I don't really know how to explain it, but for, for me, it made no, sense. I know what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, like Luke, you know, it sounds like Obi-Wan, you know, it's been harder and harder for Obi-Wan to like stay in touch with, with Luke, yeah. you know, something's been pulling him and it sounds like, you know, maybe he's just been hanging on long enough to see that Luke is, you know, settled and in a good place. And, you know, now that that's happened, you know, cause they, what been on Coruscant for like eight months now, mm-hmm. you know? So like, you know, big move, everything's settled down, you know, everything's starting to sort of, you know, run smoothly ish. Um, and he's like, all right, you know, you're, you're good kid. I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, um, he just, he, he's the old man who wants to rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's been dead for seven he, years. Yeah. <laughs> um, didn't even want to be in the movie in the first place. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Luke is worried because Leia is pregnant in the Imperial Palace. And um, I I hadn't really made a connection with this um, until I read the 20th anniversary edition. And that was the first time I'd read the book in, a, in several years. And I got to that part and I got very, 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 very angry at the Legacy of the Four series for basically turning Luke's concerns into reality <laughs> when, yeah. you know, obviously they're meant as written by Zahn as Luke just being worried about, you know, his ability to teach and his trepidations in general, kind of being emo. He's 27 or so, you know, Brian, you know what that's like. All too well. <laughs> so, you so I can see, you know, where Luke's coming from, but then Legacy of the Force happens. And for those of you who have not read it or don't know what happens, uh, Jason doesn't end well. Yeah, Jason. Solo Jason, who is one of the twins, Jerk Boy Supreme. 
he yeah jerk boy supreme he he you know turns bad and kills luke's wife and all these terrible things happen and it's basically confirming that luke was right to worry about leia being pregnant so close to where palpatine lived and it just made Wait, is that why he goes bad though no it's no 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 it is jana goes hard jana goes dark momentarily during new jedi order no it's shut up jana is the good child (laughs) (laughs) i I said momentarily i mean there's a whole book with her with the black lipstick on the cover and stupid (laughs) kip (laughs) we don't speak of him do not do not get me started on kip fucking duran and this we Jedi will not, except that we were, we might make Duran Duran t-shirts for celebration. We're working on it. <laughs> That's happening. But but I, I honestly think like Coruscant is this huge city planet. And of all of the places that the New Republic people are like, hey, I know where we're going to go squat while we build a government. Palpatine's house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, really? It always makes live down the street or it made sense mountains. to me. Because I don't know. Yeah, it makes sense. The government I mean, the infrastructure is, is already sure really easy, but well, and it's also a little harder to under to to think of now because now the Imperial Palace is the Jedi Temple, you know, and and yeah. and after in the new canon they did not go back to Coruscant, and we don't know why if they ever tried to or if they just decided it's not worth the effort anymore. Too many, too much baggage, but they. You know, at the time, we had never, ever, ever seen Coruscant. Like this so is. I was going to ask about that because I, I learned from watching Rebels Recon that Zon actually did invent. <laughs> Zon didn't actually invent the the interdictor like I thought he did. That comes from from a role playing game. So yes. I was wondering if Zon actually invented Coruscant. Well, or if that was, if actually, was actually, Matthew. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, the the idea of the city planet came from the original drafts for Return of the Jedi. Um, oh, okay. That of, uh, if you look, there's concept art of Vader taking Luke to the Emperor's throne room, which was going to be like in this lava area underneath Coruscant. Um, the, the planet was... I mean, you're going to have a final villain showdown. Right? <laughs> Lucas likes his lava, I he guess. He does like lava. I hate you! <laughs> Basically... But Loves this, lava, hates sand. Oh, God. <laughs> but the planet... Tinder profile. Oh, God. <laughs> no, we need to nip this in the bud. Do not make Darth Vader's Tinder profile. Um, swipe yeah. right for Padawan tales. Uh, oh, Brian. Stop. Uh, anyway... Okay, so he got the idea from Return of the Jedi. Yeah, there was not, the planet was not named, I think originally it might have been called Hadabaddon. I know I've seen that name bandied about. I think it might have been just a Badden. I thought it was Hadabaddon. Yeah, I'd have to go look at the making of book. But yeah, there was definitely, um, you know, concept art of the Imperial Palace. There is a very famous Ralph McQuarrie painting of the palace um, showing it as a, you know, temple or a pyramid ziggurat type structure and that was sort of the basic basis for what the palace became in legends um he was the one who came up with the name coruscant but the the idea of the the city planet capital existed for a while 
Um, Which I did not know how to pronounce until Phantom Menace. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually a real word. Yeah, they, um, well, a lot of fans, that was a debate, you know, fans had said Coruscant or Coruscant, um, and, you know, it was Coruscant in the movie. Same with Palpatine. I know a lot of people said Palpatine. Um, yeah, but Coruscant is a word <laughs> in the English language, and it basically means, like, to sparkle, mm-hmm. so. Which serves that city well. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, in the. Pablo taught me that. <laughs> in the. Um, special editions for Return of the Jedi. That was the first time that we had seen, actually seen Coruscant. And I was super excited just for that scene. It, it made me cry because I was seeing Coruscant on film. Finally. Fun fact, the special editions came out just in time to shape slightly one of the X-Wing novels. Yes. Yes, it did. <laughs> are you going to add to that or you just want to point that out? I just want to give Rogue Podrin a little oh, thing to okay. latch on to. Hey, Rogue Podrin. <laughs> so, yeah, um, we after Luke is being emo, worried about having to treat, teach the twins and all this. And then we we cut to Leia, who um, is in bed. She tries to use the force to turn off the light, but it doesn't work. Um, and uh, Winter comes in. Yay, Winter. Um, Yay, Winter. She's another girl. Which is good. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Uh, and I, I look at the Bechdel test in chapter two. It does. <laughs> I, I like that Leia has a female friend. I like that they show her burgeoning Jedi skills. I like that she and Luke are different in this respect. I like that they are continuing that. Um, I know a lot of people love Jedi Leia. I have never been a fan of Jedi Leia just because I think her talents lie elsewhere. Um, and I'm both torn because I like seeing her learn to use a force in this book, but I don't necessarily believe the whole, oh, Leia needs to learn her Jedi skills and finally become a Jedi. Especially Han saying that. I'm kind of like, what, Han? What are you talking about? (laughs) He has no idea what it takes to become a Jedi. All he knows is that Luke ran away to become a Jedi and like showed up in the nick of time and then like ran away for another week and then Yoda died and became back a Jedi. So I think what Han thinks is that maybe Leia will get a day off. (laughs) Jedi? They go away for a little bit and everyone gets these delusions of grandeur. (laughs) (laughs) He has no idea what that actually means. Which He just thinks something easier and calmer for her to be doing which is kind of meetings all day which is kind of funny to be able to rock the lightsaber so she can protect the kids yeah which is kind of funny considering um what you know becomes of luke in the new canon basically runs off and is never (laughs) rarely heard from again apparently (laughs) maybe i like how how all of the new like post uh Post Jedi uh, books are all like, you know, well, Luke's off somewhere. Yeah, Luke's gone. Luke's. Luke's. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're not going to get any Luke centric books until after episode eight, but it's just, it's funny. It is funny. I, I, um, I but, do hope that he shows up in Empire's End, like at some point during the Battle of Jakku, just because I, I think it would be funny for Chuck to write Luke Skywalker after threatening to kill him so many times. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the funny thing about Winter. Like the book describes Winter. I mean, it doesn't really describe her, but it says that um, you know she she's that the Leia had lost track of the number of times that somebody had come to the Alderanian Palace and mistaken Winter for Leia. Mm-hmm. Like he means that 
to suggest that winter is very elegant and regal, but like reading this as an 11 year old, I, it entered my mind that winter looked exactly like Leia and that they were like, that winter was sometimes used as like the, the, you know, the the decoy. decoy. Yeah. Yeah. And like that, that stayed in my mind for like years. We didn't (laughs) do that in the comics. You're not the only one who came to that conclusion. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, did they really? Yeah, they did in the comics for a while. Yeah, the uh, X-wing comics by Mike Stackpole ran with that exact. Thought. Yeah, they did. I think also <laughs> agent agent of the agent to the Empire, agent of the Empire, the John Han, Jahan Cross comics um, also kind of used that idea. Uh, and, and you, if you read and the old Princess Leia comics, where Leia would get Winter to sleep in her bed so that she could sneak out and run around with boys. I'm yes. not making this up. When you said wow. that, I thought you were going into a very different direction. <laughs> I excited for a second. No. I mean, there's fic out there if you need to look for yeah. it. So, oh no, I know there's. But fic, I didn't but... write anything. So basically, Tyler, Yvonne yeah. is the new canon winter. Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say she reminds me extremely of Yvonne. That's who she is, pretty much by design. Yeah, pretty. Yvonne much. is winter and Tycho rolled into one character. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. So um, also um, in chapter two, um, we, we learned that Leia is having the kind of morning sickness I had, which is what is this morning you speak of sick all day long? <laughs> um, yeah. And if you know anything about the imperial calendar as it worked in the Legends era, you have to ignore it. Don't try to understand it yet. No. It, you no. have to ignore it yeah. because three months pregnant, also nine weeks pregnant in Earth weeks and months. That makes total sense. <laughs> in Imperial weeks and months, it makes none. No, we're not going to. No, no. So I, anyone listening that, that has a familiarity because, say, you're a fanfic person and are really persnickety like some people that are talking right now. Um, I have no idea what we're talking about. about the old Imperial <laughs> calendar, just ignore it. Just just use I'm, Earth I'm, weeks. I'm perfectly happy to not go there. Yeah, Yeah, me too. (laughs) So, yeah, we're going to discuss Leia's pregnancy as as the series goes on because she's pregnant during the series. (laughs) Surprise. Um, And there are times when I think Zahn really benefited from, you know, going through his wife's pregnancy. And also times when an editor needed to kick him and be like, hey, uh, a woman would be experiencing this during this part of pregnancy. Yes. <laughs> Include that in the book. <laughs> Please. So we move. And then sometimes she does things and you're like, yeah, no, that's mm-hmm. the force. Yeah. <laughs> so we move. That's not normal pregnant human. No. But on the other hand, you do have the force to conveniently hand wave away. That's <laughs> not how the force works. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> in this book, in Legends, it's exactly how the Force works. Yeah. So we move. I mean, I can bring up how Mara Jade cured herself of an illness by giving birth. No, we we were not because that was stupid. <laughs> what? That's not this series. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. That sounds ridiculous. Yeah. That sounds like an experience. It's from the New Jedi Order. Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> I read it then, and I don't even remember that. <laughs> Must have blocked it, it out. Special, yeah. it so we move on from Leia to Han, who is in the Moss Eisley Cantina of all places. Didn't we just leave this party? And I will forgive 
that in this book because this is the first EU book and therefore Zahn is able to use original trilogy references and places without it being like, oh my God, we get it. The original trilogy happened. Um, (laughs) I'm looking at you, Troy Denning and Crucible, set 40-something years after A New Hope. Oh, I mean... Kevin J. Anderson's just as bad. I mean, yes. he, he seems to be like they, desperately trying they to, go to Hoth. solve movies. They go to Hoth and encounter the one-armed Wampa oh in Kevin God. J. Anderson's what? book. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's no, a that, thing that, that happened. happened. So anyway, Han is back in the cantina. He is off on missions for the New Republic, basically recruiting smugglers to work for them because they need ships. They need you know, people to smuggle supply or shipped supplies. We meet uh, Dravis, who's an old smuggler acquaintance of Hans. Uh, Wedge shows up being the worst backup man. (laughs) Precious. He's so precious. And and then Paige, Lieutenant Paige, who is the actual backup man. And Paige is kind of a throwaway character who shows up time and again in and in legends uh he shows up in the x-wing books he shows up briefly in the new jedi order he's kind of like one of those characters who just keeps popping up page and his commandos just a recurring character throughout yeah uh in this we get some much needed information that uh Talon Card has taken over Java's spot as big fish in the smuggling pond. Uh, and Han is left to wonder who exactly is this Talon Card person. And then we move on to chapter three, in which we meet this Talon Card person. I, I can tell you who Talon Card is. A big fan of puns. He is the most interesting yes. man <laughs> in the galaxy. And I will say this this moment <laughs> in chapter two is our introduction to what is about to be a lifelong series of on-again, off-again, Han Solo having a general's commission. Yes! Um, yes. He has quit right now, but any minute now, they'll pin those bars right back on him, and every time he throws them back, they throw them back onto him, and for the next, like, 40 years, he seems to not be able to escape. Uh, Just when Luke, I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Luke, unfortunately, is the only one who manages to resign and and stay <laughs> resigned. I think mainly because they know Jedi. And then Han, they're like, hey, come on. We need to have you take care of more Lord Zinge. And he's like, fine, I'll go babysit these Wraith Squadron people. Every six years, I'm three weeks from retirement. What the hell? It's not even like Han is a good general. I mean, <laughs> no. People all got captured on Endor. I mean, his big strategy was knocking the guy on the one shoulder and then running the other way. I mean, he's a terrible leader of men. This from the guy who... Later on, later on, Leia gets elected president, and they're like, basically, you can't live with her unless yeah. you let us pin your commission back on you because you're not authorized to be around her. <laughs> That's not how governments work. No. So, it's Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Or she could just never speak to you. If you- <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to chapter three, we get to the um, third main perspective from the series. Um, Zahn is does something really interesting in that he kind of divides the story into the New Republic, the Empire, and then the smugglers who are neutral. And that provides an interesting dichotomy because you get, you know, the New Republic versus the Empire. 
But then you see the smugglers working with the New Republic, working against the New Republic, same with the Empire. And instead of just having a back and forth, you have this very interesting triangle, which works very well. Plus, it gives us two of my favorite characters from Legends in Talon Card and Mara Jade. What you like, Mara Jade? Really? I do like Mara Jade a lot. I, I, I had no idea. And Talengard. Does uh, it involve? Is it like kind of? Is one of the reasons you like Mara is like it is a fantasy of you being married to Luke or something like that? Actually, no, because when Mara was introduced, there was no uh, idea of that happening. I mean, at you all. you read these books for the first time. Um, I read them before, when they came out before there was any other legends to speak of. Yeah, so I mean, pretty much when she showed up, I hated her because I because oh. she hated Luke Skywalker, and I was like, who the who the <laughs> I'm using my one F-bomb. Who the fuck are you, lady, to hate my boyfriend? How do we get a one F-bomb limit to keep PG-13? How do we get a limit? Sorry. Who who are you (laughs) to want to kill Luke Skywalker? Um, And then, you know, spoilers, by the end of Dark Force Rising, I was shipping them with the passion of a thousand sons. Um, So, you know, that opinion changed pretty quickly. Um, But yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people started shipping them really early on, wanted them to get together right away. But that was never in the cards for the series. As far as Zahn was writing it, he was writing the it. talent cards. Oh, gosh. Oh. Shut up. Uh, you are fired. Uh, 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 uh. <sighs> so as far as Zahn was concerned, you know, this was it. There wasn't any more legends after this. This was the story um, once they realized how successful this was and they were going to be writing more books, um, when they asked, once they realized what they'd done is print themselves a license, print money. Exactly. <laughs> um, they decided to pair Mara off with Lando. Well, no, that was Kevin J. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> so when they it asked Zahn, they didn't actually hook up. Yeah. Well, oh, uh, they that up. was a retcon. <laughs> Because they basically said, you know, they said, Tim Zahn, will you come back and end the Bantam era? And he said, yes, if I can do this and this. And one of them was Mary, Luke and Mara. And they were like, no, you can't do that. And he was like, eh, then I'm not interested. And a few <laughs> weeks later, they were like, hey, um, you can do that. <laughs> we'll even write a comic book about it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do want to point out, you know, seriously, though, Mara was not created as Luke's love interest. I mean, I'm sure Zahn created her as a foil for Luke because of their interaction in the series. Um, in, in, as the series goes on, you know, there, there is no way romance is going to blossom between them as it happens. Uh, it's too quick. There's too much going on. It would be so unbelievable with what happens tomorrow during this series. But, you know, at the end of the series, we see they're at least friendly and that I could, you know, people wanted to see that prog- that relationship progress. Um, and eventually it did. Took a while. Mara, Mara, I think, has maybe the most interesting character arc in this trilogy. Yes. She I mean, it's her trilogy. I mean, it, it might be yeah. called the Thrawn trilogy, but it's it's really about her. Um yeah, and I mean, I, I should add that, yeah, I'm as as big a fan of, of Mara Jade as you are. I mean, and like, I was, you know, 
like you said, you know, at the beginning, obviously she's pretty antagonistic, but like by the end of the book, I was just like, yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's important to, to point out also that, you know, she's, she's another girl, you know, I mean, winter is, yeah. <laughs> winter is introduced. Um, she's, she's not as big of a character. She's more of a minor character, but you know, Mara is, is basically the star of the series and, you know, Leia is awesome. Um, but there were a lot of girls around at this time, me being one of them who read Mara Jade and saw, you know, what, what people like Amanda saw when they first saw Leia in the original trilogy is what I saw when I saw Mara. And now, you know, what girls are seeing when they see Ray and, you know, what they saw when they saw Ahsoka and all that stuff. So, you know, that it, people say, well, why is Mara so important? You know, there's all these female characters now. It's like, well, cause back then there was Leia and then there was Mara. And that's pretty much it. It's the same reason I get really uncomfortable when people, are super critical of Buffy with today's standards mm-hmm. and kind of ignore the context of when these characters came into existence. Yeah. And it's very nineties. I mean, there's a lot of nineties tropes with Mara, but it, he, I mean, the way she's written is, is excellent. So yeah, started she's very well zero, I really like her right now. I'm like, Yay! yeah, ginger villain. I like her right now. She, yeah, so. and I mean, Right off the bat, she's like, you know, he invites her to a fancy dinner and she's like, what the hell are you doing? This is yeah. creepy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't um, mac on me or like, my boss. Like, right off the bat, she's not having any of it. And it's great. There are some, yeah. there are some, um, some instances during the, it, this book specifically where I'm like, I want to roll my eyes and be like, Mara, tone it down a little. We get it. You hate Luke Skywalker. And everybody else. <laughs> yeah. But um, mostly I, Luke Skywalker. I think it's, you know, it's portrayed well. But um, yeah, so Thra- Talon Card is inviting Mara to dinner because he basically wants to give her a promotion. They want to discuss her future with the organization. Um, this is an excuse to have characterization for both Card and Mara. And then while they're eating, they are interrupted um, because the Star Destroyer Chimera has made orbit on Merker. And let me hit pause there for a second, just back yes. up a little bit. People have people hate the hot chocolate thing. They don't have any problem with Sturm und Drang. <laughs> no, because it's one of Tim Zahn's wonderful puns. <laughs> but those are, I mean, they're not English words; they're German words. But they're they're I know. you know real world words. I know. But they're fine with that? Yeah. They yeah, okay. they are. Also, I love I love Vornskers. They're so cute. But they'll kill you. <laughs> so Just to watch that. They're vicious space puppies. They are. So Thrawn uh shows up or the well, the Chimera shows up, um Card being the bamf that he is, just is like, Oh, let's hail the Star Destroyer. And Mara's like, What are you doing? <laughs> guys. Friends. And we realize that Card is really, really smart because he sends people to help them, both so A, the Imperials will be in his debt, and B, so he can watch them the entire time and figure out what they're doing. Because Talon Card is has a boner for information. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I've been waiting to. S- I've been waiting to say that for so long. 
little known fact. That's well, why we're, we're certainly like earning that. our E. <laughs> he does. I mean, that's what he loves most in this universe. I mean, it's true. You're not wrong. I mean, yeah. Um, but yeah. And I think that this, I mean, you know, seriously, I think that this chapter does a, a really good job of showing that. You know, again, Zahn is very efficient in his characterization He's extremely and, his ex- efficient. and his exposition. It's, um, you know, because none of it feels too much like like really didactic exposition yeah and one of the um and we we figure out very quickly that yeah he's he's an information broker more than anything else and one of the things i thought was very interesting was in the authors panel at at uh, dragon con was when they were discussing you know the the beginnings of legends and when um lou aronica at bantam proposed this book he was said you know they he wanted them to treat it seriously. He wanted it to be in hardcover. He wanted it to, you know, be be publicized and not just one of those like things you see in paperback that are like a Planet of the Apes novel. He wanted it to be like treated as a serious science fiction novel. And I mean, Planet of the Apes was a science fiction novel before it was a movie. Right. Well, I'm 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 <laughs> Stop ruining everything. <laughs> Though you know the you know, I, mean, I wrote a piece about this actually um, over Rogue's Portal, how like you know it's about Star Trek, but like you know so many t- media tie-in books yes. are just like yeah. they at least look just like trash. You know, it's like a a paperback with like a cast photo on the cover and a logo slapped on, and it just yeah. you know they, I read every one of those. They look <laughs> yeah, like and I mean I you know I, I point out in the piece that there are a lot of good Star Trek novels, but I mean there's like over 700 of them. And I mean, so that, that's, that's not like, you know, you can definitely get the impression that they're just churned out on a factory line. And, and, th- and you know, it sounds like he was definitely trying to separate himself from that. Yeah. He treated this just like any other novel that, you know, he would have written in an original universe. And, you know, you take the characters out of this universe, you could put this story pretty much in an original, original setting and it would still be, great um i as as a writer personally i i i've this isn't my favorite legends book but i think it's probably you know zon's best just because you i read the introductions of these characters and i'm like man i'm never gonna write a character introduction scene as well as he does because he has them doing exactly what they need to do to explain who they are in the least amount of words. And it's still yeah. interesting. So we see that um, the Chimera is has come to Merker, the first planet uh, listed in those coordinates, to collect Usalamiri, which are known to um, push back the Force. Um, we, we, we don't know that. Well, yeah, we find that out in the next chapter, which I think is very interesting in retrospect. Um, because we don't know it at the time, we learn later on that Mara Jade is force sensitive. So this entire this entire book, as we see her, um, well, except for the part when you know she's um, rescuing Luke, but the entire time she's on Merker, she can't use the force, and she has no problem with it, um, which I think is very interesting when you look at what Zahn has said about Mars abilities to use a force, um, they, they are very minimal at this time, basically because he, he was thinking that her connection to the emperor sort of bolstered her abilities. And after he died, she lost a lot of 
force abilities until she, she started to train again. Um, but yeah, I, 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 she when doesn't I w- like the Ysela Mary, she's not real thrilled having to commune with them. No, she doesn't want to get close to them. No, and she definitely and doesn't want to be near the Vornskers, um, who yeah. for some reason do not like her. Um, and of course we find out because she can use the force and Vornskers hunt using the force. So spoiling a lot of stuff for Tyler. Here. I'm sorry, Tyler. I told you there's going to be spoilers <laughs> in this show. <laughs> Most of the stuff we're spoiling now has been pop culturally osmosis <laughs> over the last 20 years. Hey, I didn't tell yeah, you. I mean, depending on your level of. I didn't Star tell Wars you fandom. that in the new Jedi Order, they take the Vordskers and create Voxen, which kill a bunch of people. Oh, God, I remember that. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I think I had blocked that out. Wait, that was the this... same book with the, the emo lipstick. No, that was not. It wasn't? No, that came afterwards. But it was all the same book. The entire New Jedi <laughs> Order was just one big, emo big lipstick. vomitous mass of fiction. So okay. New Jedi Order is now emo skip, emo lipstick saga. Yes. Um, <laughs> You're learning so much, yeah. Tyler. I know, right? And everything I'm that came so after the my... Jedi Order, we just don't talk about. <laughs> bug sex. No. Stop. Sex with bugs. <laughs> and Thank awesome. you for explaining what bug sex is. Wait, no, I think I knew that. I don't know how. I actually, I I actually haven't even read those books. I just like to bring them up to torture. Yeah, the, the, the bug sex and the darkness trilogy is kind of a Star Wars meme that That's transcends right. yeah. all of the books. Yeah. <laughs> So moving on to chapter four, we the Chimera has just been at way, at Merker, and now we're going to Wayland uh, to meet the Guardian of the Mountain because that doesn't sound ominous or anything. Not to be confused with Mount uh, Doom. Yes. So they br- except really confusable with Mount Doom. <laughs> they bring you Salamiri along, uh, which we um, find out what exactly they do in this um, chapter. Uh, Pelion, Thrawn, and Rook, who is the Nogri bodyguard, um, which we didn't discuss earlier, but they're basically death commandos um, in service to Thrawn. Uh, We find a lot more about them in the next book. Stay tuned. Um, So they basically go to the city square and they're like, take me to your leader. (laughs) Uh, and then this old guy that always ends well. Yeah, right. <laughs> so this old guy comes out, and they say we're looking for the guardian, and he says I killed the guardian. Um, or he goes, I you know I will take you to him. They bring he brings them to a crypt. Basically says I killed the guardian, and uh, everyone who came looking for the guardian tries to use force lightning, and oh, it dissipates because of the Salamiri bubble. Um, so you know. He then introduces himself as Jor- Joro Sabioth. Um, no yes. <laughs> Whatever, Matthew. Um, Thrawn, basically, Thrawn basically says he wants to go into the mountain because he wants a cloaking shield and some other piece of trivial technology, which that was so much foreshadowing the way he said it. Over and over and over, like in several chapters, he doesn't say exactly what it is. He just says it's a little bit of trivial technology, which makes you just go, "Okay, what exactly is it?" Um, <laughs> Something tells me this isn't trivial at all. No, right? 
Must be because I've read a book before. <laughs> Wait a minute. So, um, there was some debate on the Del Rey Star Wars Facebook page a little while ago, which, you know, should tell you the, the merits of this debate right there. Why are you... Because because I like to look at the comments to see what people have to say that they're wrong. Never read the comments. No, no, even no. Listen, Tom has to read all the comments, so sometimes I read them too in solidarity. Um. So, basically, people were saying that Thrawn is not a villain. You know, he's an antagonist, but he's not a villain. Oh God! Which makes me point to this chapter and go hey Thrawn was basically willing to exchange two unborn children for Sabioth doing his will that it doesn't get much more mustache twirling villain he than that offers Luke Skywalker Leia Organa and her unborn Jedi twins to Sabioth to do as he sees fit in order because that's the kind of power he wants Plus, he has glowing red eyes. <laughs> of course, he's a villain. This is the part where we can speak briefly about the politics and um, the media of the New Republic, as we have, we have learned that information control is not a thing. Um, Leia is nine weeks pregnant. That is early in the third month. Literally, she can still fit into her skinny jeans. <laughs> and yet... Villain on the other side of the galaxy is aware that not only is she pregnant, but she's having twins and they're going to be force sensitive. Ah, ah. I think he's just assuming that they're force sensitive. Well, however, we we find out later on that there there is a reason why they know she's pregnant. Um, and because I, information control. This is not a uh, thing they do. Well, <laughs> there's basically. Well, we'll find out. Just, Stop, stop, stop. Yes, yes. I don't, don't <laughs> but the fact is, that's well. This, yeah. I mean, this is true for legends in general. Like the 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 whole thing of um, Vader being Luke and Leia's father is not. Um, it, there, there isn't a big moment like in Bloodline where people find out that it happened. It just kind of comes out little by little. And I think that's one of the mistakes they're trying to correct in the new canon is what do people know and when do they know it? And I'm glad they're keeping that (laughs) in mind Um, that there's actually a moment in the series that I love because it's kind of that that sort of bombshell for a character. Um, So um, we move on. Sabiel has agreed to work with Thrawn and Peleon. Um, we move on to Thrawn and Peleon by themselves. Um, Peleon is reporting that they have, you know, they've, their texts are going in to, you know, look for this information. And Peleon expresses some concerns that Sabioth may not be sane, to which I go, you think? Peleon expresses concerns <laughs> was the subtitle for this whole trilogy. <laughs> yes. Um... So Thrawn, I love him so much. Thrawn reveals that that's because Sabioth is a clone. Um, because the original Joros Sabioth was killed many years ago in the outbound flight mission, uh, which with Th- which Thrawn was involved in. And um, stay tuned in about three years when we get to that book. 
Oh no, that came that book came out a lot later than this one. I mean, when we get oh, to oh, it, yeah, well, that's when not, we get there, that's not gonna happen. So, uh, so Thrawn says, you know, this this is a clone. It's Jerus Sabiath because Zahn needed a way to clarify that which one is a clone and which is not because he was going to be he knew you know early on that he was going to need to distinguish them from each other so it's so adding an extra you yes <laughs> which is how you do ridiculous. it vowels are important in this series who already have a you in their name yeah because <laughs> double you is how you can tell who's a clone yeah i mean if you I don't assume. have a luke in your name you in your name you are in fact safe from being cloned I assume it's the vowel sound rather than the you specifically, but it's still <laughs> I didn't realize. <laughs> I didn't realize that this is where we got Luke. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm having, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that you, you knew about Luke going in. Cause it was actually like kind of an amazing twist at the time. It really was, but we're not going to tell you what happens. No. You'll have to wait to see how Lou comes about. <laughs> Let's just say um, the Force Awakens rumors aren't the first place we saw Luke's hand. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> good, good night, everybody. So um, some little interesting bits about this chapter I thought were interesting was that um, Zahn works travel time into the story. Whereas in the prequels, it's pretty much, oh, um, Anakin gets in, you know, goes to Mustafar in like one minute. And then Force Awakens where travel time is doesn't exist at all. Yeah. Abrams is a special. I mean, he was bad about that Star Trek. Too, yeah. But like he's just he's not down with with travel time. He's like basically like, yeah, warp speed, hyperspace. It's all just like instantaneous. Yeah. I will say it's a lot easier in a book to do that then now, now in in fairness to abrams uh, a whole bunch of legends authors said that hyperspace works for whatever the plot dictates yeah, jason fry has said hyperspace <laughs> hyperspace works as fast as your plot entails which well, yeah i mean the entire galaxy is is i mean than that's why they created hyperlanes so people yeah, can get I, places quickly that are far apart from one another. Well, but I mean, if you, Autobahn if you even like, compa- if you like <laughs> compare it with Star Trek, though, like the Federation is like a tiny sliver of the galaxy. And like it'll take, you know, well, I mean, Voyager took them. It was going to take them like 70 years. You yeah, know, to get but they were in the Gamma Quadrant. So whatever. Well, but that's what I'm saying. Like, the, the Star Wars galaxy like the empire like is in charge of basically the whole galaxy and the new Republic spans, you know, a big part of the galaxy. So just like from that alone, either it's a really tiny galaxy or or hyperspace moves you along at like way faster speeds than even like warp speed in Star Trek. Yeah. I did the math. Um, You did do the math. I think I I did. I think I, I think I did the math, right. If I did the math, right. Then it means the math I did earlier is wrong. But, um, they go 350 light years in five days, which is about 70 light years per day. Um, and if my math is right, it works out to be about 2.91 times the speed of light, you know, assuming 24 hours to a day. So I don't know where 0.4 comes from because it says I don't the, know either. It has a, has a 0.4 cruising speed, which tells me that Zahn just like dropped a number down there and it's like, fuck it. Pretty but, much. Um, but yeah, it's I, all I, rubber science. Yeah. And you just have to buy I mean, it. It's, it's Star Wars. It's, it's, 
it's fantasy. It's not science fiction. <laughs> so one of the th- one of the throwaway lines I thought was really funny was when the alien species come out to quote unquote greet them on Wayland and Paleon asks Thrawn if the alien species are hostile to humans. And Thrawn says, probably, as most alien species are, in which I kind of tilted my head and said, including your own? Um, Which, yes, they are. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like he's being like, and I am hostile to you right now, Captain. So shut up. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. Check your name now. (laughs) We learn about the Chiss a lot more um, later. I don't don't even think we know, we'll hear the term Chiss in this series at all. I think all that. I don't think we do, no. Yeah, but, um, you know, the background of of the Chiss species is that um, they they are very isolationist and do not like outsiders and humans. So I thought that was just a really funny exchange. Uh, chapter four introduces a lot of topics that are going to come up later on. Uh, this is the first time we hear the term Dark Jedi, which has kind of become anathema in Star Wars. Um, you know, there there's, there's Sith and then there's Force users um, they don't really call them Dark Jedi anymore. You know, Jedi are Jedi, but they didn't really use the term Sith because they didn't know what Sith was. Actually, yeah, we didn't have Sith. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, Zahn originally wanted to make the Nogri Sith because of you know in that Vader is described as the Dark Lord of the Sith in the original trilogy, you know, novelizations, but no one really knew what that was. So he wanted to create them as sort of an alien species that he was dark Lord of. And they said no to that idea. Um, so I guess really the only term that they could use to describe Sabiath is dark Jedi because he was a Jedi or at least the original version was. So I guess in the sense of the story, it makes sense. I, I, just don't like the idea in general you know either you're a jedi or you're not you can't be dark well he's also a clone so and he's not anything that goes into a box he has all sorts of wrongness covered in a Mm -hmm. beard and jazz hands yes and i mean the whole like you know binary good bad dark light thing that star wars like has big problems with like annoys the hell out of me anyway so i mean mm-hmm. dark jedi you know that's that's fine you know? there's so much to talk about there <laughs> that's the whole <laughs> that's all podcast unto itself well, yeah. i was like re-watching rebels and yoda says that you know the whole jedi order like goes to the dark side during the the war which i thought was such an interesting comment but yeah we that's that's a whole other conversation yeah it also explains how the salamiri work a lot of people have had issues with that the idea of something blocking the force, but it is very much a narrative narrative device in the story. Um, as you will see later on, it is really necessary to show, you know, Luke Skywalker being amazing. Yeah. And <laughs> while it was necessary for the stories, I will say maybe unpopular opinion. I'm glad Dave said that they are being left in legends. I am too. <laughs> I, I, yeah, me three. Yeah. I, the, because they also became a crutch, a crutch. Mm-hmm. It's funny because 
Zahn could make a villain who could stand up to a Jedi. Yeah, they Zahn, are used really well here, not just in this book, but no, in the rest of the trilogy. I think in this trilogy, some of the more dramatic, some of the more dramatic reveals occur thanks to them. But eventually, other authors picked them up and decided to play with Timothy Zahn's toys, and they did, um, they so, did less of an admirable job. So many things <laughs> went badly with that setup. <laughs> but yeah, it's. It's interesting because here Zahn is using Estalamiri to t- take the force away as a crutch. Later on, the Estalamiri become a crutch to other authors. Yes. So it's funny how that works. Um, battle meditation. Boy, howdy. Battle meditation stuck around for a long time. Oh, my God. Battle meditation was the uh, literate was the literature tool to explain why the Empire just fell to effing pieces at Endor. Which I do not agree with. And uh, it showed up in the Knights of the Old Republic video games because that was very much Bastila Shan's thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Showed up in the New Jedi Order. Yep. Battle meditation was all over the place. Yeah. I really like, I mean, I like the idea. It's, it's intriguing, you know? It is. That, that, uh, um, what's his face? The emperor. I can't think of his Palpatine. name. Palpatine. <laughs> Palpatine. 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 I, I kept thinking Paleon. I'm like, no, Paleon. That's not right. Um, but it, I, it's fascinating. It's, it's a really cool idea that that uh, Palpatine was was you know sort of puppet master controlling all his troops that way. Yeah, it's um, totally him. Because well, he's a total That's right there. We probably all would think it was a neat idea. It was not left alone, but well, I'm, and I mean, as it's explored in this trilogy, I think it it's because uh, it, it comes up again. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know what other instances you're talking about in which it wasn't such a good idea. <laughs> well, I think it's also interesting because um, it it, prov- it provides a moral quandary for Paleon because he basically thinks is wondering, was he just Borg implanted into a computer? Which I thought was really funny to see in a Star Wars book. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he... that sense to Palpatine is futile. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. And it's, it's one of those things that's never really um, sort of confirmed one way or the, the other, which I appreciate that if you're not a huge fan of this idea, you can say, no, I don't agree. That's what happened, um, and it it will still make sense. Um, you, you know, yeah, the, I do like the ambiguity there. Yeah, he um, he's really good at leaving things ambiguous um, that that can be. Um, so you know, fans aren't stuck as like, yes, this is exactly what happened. Don't worry, in fifteen years, Troy Troy Denning will show up to over explain it all. <laughs> but I do I do like uh, the the reveal of that and. Uh, and just how like cold Thrawn is. He's like, yeah, you fought on like cadets. Yes. Like, Damn. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thrawn is very cold at some points, which I mean, it fits him. Really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so um, we talked about the Nogri. Um, they basically serve Vader and the Emperor and now serve Thrawn. We learn a lot more about them later on. Um, they we n- name drop outbound outbound flight very quickly 
it was just a way for Zahn to confirm that Sabiath did indeed die and Thrawn knew that he died. It's also a way to be like, oh, I was this, I was the commander of this, this force. So, you know, Thrawn has a history. Um, and many years later, Zahn wrote a book called Outbound Flight, which was about this entire thing. So we get to see Thrawn versus the original Sabioth. Again, and come back in 2019. When let we get me to that tell book. you, the original <laughs> Sabioth was every bit an asshole as the clone. Um, I, I was very curious about that because, you know, they, they played up the whole crazy clone idea in this series. Cause we didn't know what the clone wars were then. Um, but when I read app on flight, I was like, Oh my God. Sabiath might be one of my most hated characters in, in fiction. <laughs> he is terrible. Terrible. Um, but, you know, very well written. <laughs> and, hey, Tyler, do you yes. remember Ripped Obi-Wan? Yes. Well, remember I said there was a story to that. Originally, yes. Timothy Zahn wanted Sabiath to be a clone of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Lucasfilm said no. So that and Sith, I think, were one of the two things huh. that they came back and said, no, you can't do. Um, and in retrospect, you know, he was glad that they didn't let him do that. And it made sense. Yeah, that would have yeah, been that probably, I mean, pretty cheesy. Yes. It would have it would have been it would have been lame to have, you know, everyone be like, you know, I'm out. Peace. <laughs> and then just to close <laughs> him to show up. I mean, I can see I the mean, whole. I, I, it's you yeah, know. I see what Zahn would be trying to do there, but I mean, it's just it's so yeah. cheesy. It doesn't yeah, work. It is, yeah. and and I, as much as I hate Sabiath, and I I want to say I don't hate him as a character. I hate him because I'm supposed to. He's infuriating. Um, oh, but he's a great character. He he's is. So okay. Yeah, he's he's a wonderful, you know, triangle point of this, you know, crazy antagonist group that you have you have paleon as like kind of the normal person thrawn as <laughs> the genius you know you the and then sabiath as the crazy person also paleon paleon's the, the guy who's like guys come on let's let's study let's be <laughs> yes. serious and the the other members of his group are just fucking off yes <laughs> um but I, I I like that we have both a force sensitive and a non force sensitive villain, um, because it's I I hate that they, when they rely on just you know the force sensitive person knowing all, um, which is kind of like why I like the whole Hux and Kylo dynamic because you know you've got Hux as sort of the military guy and Kylo as the crazy force user. <laughs> I never realized that's actually a pretty good. Uh... Parallel. Mm-hmm. See, they're always there. <laughs> so yeah, um, anything else anyone to bring up about these chapters before we move on? Where it the book really no, I mean, gets like going I said, pretty fast. Yeah, like I said, you know, I'm really impressed. You know, now that I'm like, well, first off, now that I'm just reading it four chapters at a time and not just blasting through, and also you know, reading it with at least an eye for analysis. You know, I'm impressed with how efficient. Zahn's writing is and you know not only just in, in terms of the character creation but in terms of the plot creation as well like I didn't you know you guys were, were giggling about clones last week and I was like oh well, don't spoil things for Tyler 
but like <laughs> they've already like you know revealed that you know yeah. that that Kabas is a is a clone, and I was surprised that they got to that so quickly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that that's really my main takeaway from these first four chapters is just the the sheer efficiency of the writing. Yeah, and I, I think this episode of the Throncast is probably going to be quite a bit longer than every other episode we do because, like you said, Zon introduces a lot of very foundational stuff in a very efficient manner early on that we have to break down in these first four chapters. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not it's not rushed either. It doesn't no, feel no. like yeah, he's cramming. You know, there are books that, you know, the first few chapters just are just like information dumped. But this isn't like this isn't Neil Stevenson. I mean, it's all it's all doled out very organically. Yeah, I every time I read this book, I'm amazed at two things. One is that it continues to stand up. Even now, when when it's completely non-canon, it continues to stand up. And that how much of a basis it's set for Legends, which is kind of silly to say because obviously it was a first book. But you think of how many characters from the series ended up going on in Legends and how many ideas that came back on, you know, book after book, even that Zahn didn't write. Um, and it really makes me wonder, you know, you know, what would have happened if, if they had had someone else write the first book, (laughs) probably (laughs) wouldn't be here right now. (laughs) That's true. So, yeah, um, I'm really excited to keep reading more. I've actually read through next week's already because I was in the pool and I'm almost to next week's, but I was in an airport. Like it was there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm making myself just read four chapters at a time. Cause otherwise, like if that, I will just blast through the whole book and then I'll have to go back and reread. And it's just, I don't have time for that. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm doing it twice. Anyway, I'm reading the chapters just like I read them and then I'm going back and taking notes later. Yeah. Oh, you're much more diligent than I. Am. <laughs> uh, Tyler, any last? Well, it's that or work on the novel I have due next year, and how dare I do work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Tyler, any last yeah. thoughts as our newbie to the series? Um, this was a really great intro to establish, you know, the bad guys and where you know everyone else is, like Luke and Leia and Han. Yeah. And I'm very excited to see what happens, you know, down the road. Cause this is like, it's, I mean, great, op- great opener. Yeah. Really awesome opening. Was it super jarring for you as someone who's really only read the new Canon stuff? Um, well, not, not, not really. Um, I think because this is in that, at least right now, this is in that time where we don't know what happened, you know, five years after. Um, yeah. Like I could see this with a few tweaks hypothetically taking place in the new canon, but. <laughs> I hear a lightsaber. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was wondering what that was. That that was an accident. <laughs> um, but like hypothetically, like I'm, like I can see this with a few weeks fitting in. Yeah. Um, but I like, you know, I had to 
you know, like the whole 50, like he's been in the, the empire for, you know, X amount of years. I'm like, wait, that, that's not right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. There, yeah. There's, yeah. There's, I mean, but even going forward, I mean, it, you know, even when you finish with the trilogy, it is surprising, like how much of it stands up to, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Canon, just I think, a few tweaks. I think this is something that if it had been written nowadays, it would have taken place like, when aftermath is taking place during that, exactly. to that time exactly. period. Um, yeah. So yeah, Brian, any last thoughts? Every time I reread this series and I, I've got to echo what everyone else said, I've read this, this is the fifth or sixth time I've read these books and it just holds up well. And e- and what's even more shocking now is how well it still holds up despite the legends cut over. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, we know it's not canon, but this the first four chapters of this book make such logical sense from where we left off in Return of the Jedi that it it just works. And I think what's interesting is that this this makes sense based on what we know in the original trilogy, and so does what's happening in the new canon, um, which shows that you know there's really not like it's there's there's logical progressions for a lot of different you know ways characters can go and stories can go which is why i kind of get my hackles up when people say well if this doesn't happen i'm quitting star wars because it's like well if if it's done well um you'll like it no matter what because they can rationalize a lot of stuff right i totally wrote an article about that that can be found on 1138.com yes you did <laughs> funnily enough um <laughs> Uh, Matthew, anything, last thoughts? Um, no, I mean, I, what I said earlier, pretty much that, that those were my last thoughts. And Amanda, (laughs) I'm just making sure Amanda. Yeah, just the, the comparison of, you know, I'm always reading this for where the characters are in their journey and, uh, the comparison of where the characters are here and where the characters were in aftermath, even though there are technically five years of, um, plot in between in this version um it does feel a lot like the same point in their character development it really does as a as a first book um and no i'm I'm excited to get back into this i i realize i miss legends more than i was letting on (laughs) well i mean i i think it's you know it's one thing to say that you know you're you're good with that you you really like the new canon and you want to see what happens and you know as for me, like, I don't really care if they write new legends books because I've, I've read that storyline and I, I really have no interest in where it ended up with crucible, but I do love the series and especially this set of books. And I'm going to keep reading them no matter what they say on the front cover. Um, well, yeah, I mean, and this is why I don't mind that, you know, they decided to clean up the canon because, you know, they they didn't come and take my books when they when they <laughs> they're cleaned up the canon. They're literally releasing you know? new copies. They, they are. I, I still I still have my copies of the books. I still have my old copy of Ghostbusters. I mean, I'm fine. <laughs> and speaking of which, Nancy, yeah, do you that, have something to say? That's a very good segue. That they are not taking away our books. They are actually giving us books. Uh, the lovely folks at Delray Delray have. Um, given us two sets of the new Thrawn trilogy paperback set to give away to our readers. 
We are still figuring out how exactly we want to give these away. Um, I think I want to have a contest, but I also want to do one just as a random giveaway. But stay tuned. They, We're going to figure out how we do this. And they, they have asked one thing of us, though, in that we try and get these copies away to folks who have never read these books before. Yeah. Great. I'll take them. I'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're the, con- the contest is who can write Matthew the biggest check. <laughs> um, the new, the revised contest is who can write Matthew the biggest uh, jerk monologue. Never mind. That was a, <laughs> yes. that was a joke. And what? what was that? Didn't oh, go anywhere. That's right. I think right. we were going with Matthew has wrong opinions about things, but we couldn't quite get there. Yeah. yeah, no, but I mean, but, but yeah, like, you know that. I mean, if you know Matthew, you know that he's wrong opinions about, <laughs> like, just existing. Yes. Yeah, this took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thrawn does not have wrong opinions. Thrawn has all the right opinions, as we just will Just ask him. Yes. So, yes, thank you all for joining us for episode 1.1 of the Throncast. Uh, we are a Tashi Station podcast, and we've been brought to you in part by Hair Universe, and you, our Patreon subscribers. Our Twitter handler, twi- twi- pe- 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 I, had, I have to stumble over one thing. Twitter handles, it's really hard to say fast, uh, Tashi underscore, under- Brian, you do it. <laughs> Our Twitter handles are Tashi underscore station. That's the official show, account, a show account. You can find Nancy with Nancy Pants. That's Nancy with an I. You can find me with Lane Winry, L-A-N-E-W-I-N-R-E-E. You can find Matthew at M.R. Bowers. You can find Amanda at Manda the Ginger. And you can find Tyler with Cyberpunk Warlock. That's W-A-R-L-O-K. And you can find our columns and news at Tashi-Station.net. Tune in next week for our discussion of chapters five through eight. When we visit a very hard to spell planet, Bimisari, this is coming to you from someone who's been trying to write show notes and can't spell Bimisari, and learn just how awesome Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker is in combat. You thought the sail barge assault was awesome. You ain't seen nothing yet. And stay tuned. After the outro music, we have a special Thrawn tidbit from Jay, uh, one of the contributors over at 1138. Bye. 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 Hi everyone, this is Jay. Every so often, I'll have a short segment for the end of the Thrawn cast, where I'll discuss a little bit of EU background lore or history related to this week's discussion. We'll start off with a short discussion on the Grand Admirals, and you might have guessed I'd start here, since I've had the word Grand Admiral in my online nickname for practically forever. So, what is a Grand Admiral? Thrawn was the first Grand Admiral we heard about in real life, but inside the Star Wars Legends universe, he was actually the 13th and last legitimate Grand Admiral. The first Grand Admirals were appointed by the Emperor about two years before the Battle of Yavin at the New Year's Fate Week celebration. 
And no, this is not the first you'll hear of the New Year's Fate Week celebration in relation to Grand Admirals. The rank of Grand Admiral was created to bypass the high command and military bureaucracy and give the Emperor a way to more personally control the military. They were also used as sort of high-level problem solvers and managers for the Emperor, and I like to compare them to basically being a bunch of little mini-vaders running around fixing things for the Emperor. We'll talk more about that role later. Some of the more prominent Grand Admirals include Grand Admiral Zarin from TIE Fighter, Grand Admiral Tigalinus from the West End Games Star Wars Adventure Journals, and my personal favorite, Grand Admiral Teshik, or Tashik, also from West End Games. Many more of them were detailed over the years, mostly in reference books, and I'm sure I'll have a chance to talk about them at length in the future, so don't worry. But that's it for now, and remember, the Empire is victorious on all fronts. <laughs>